morning. morning. Man, y'all better start calling y'all community group members. It's looking light in here. Y'all better be like, where y'all at? Why y'all skipping church? Anyway, if we haven't met yet, my name is Justin. I am one of the elders, pastors here. Uh, Uniquely, I'm being sent out uh, to begin a new autonomous church plant uh, called New City Fellowship, just about 15, 20 minutes west of here. If you've been here for some time, you've heard about this, you've learned about it. And so like as you've been praying for this and God has compelled you to maybe learn more, uh, I'd love to meet you back there at the connections table and we could talk about uh, what, what it is we're doing, cross points relationship to it and things like that. I'm standing in this morning and next week for uh, our lead pastor, Steve McKenzie, as he is coming to the close of a 12 week sabbatical. Uh, he will be back at cross point next week uh, and then back on the pulpit full time the following week. Uh, and uh, I got some time to speak with him uh, last week against the rules. We're not supposed to have contact, but I did it anyway. And I just told him how much I loved him and how much I missed him. And I'm so excited to have him come back home. All right, are you ready to study your Bibles this morning? Yeah. Okay, I hope so. Why don't you meet me in the book of Ezekiel chapter 37? I do have to say that uh, I received a strongly worded text message this week by a lovely member of our congregation telling me to use slides. <laughs> and so I learned a very hard lesson this morning when I made those slides and they don't look good on the screen. So I'm very sorry. <laughs> I tried, but now I know I have to make it look What I see on my screen isn't what you see. So it looks great to me, but it doesn't look great up there. So if you can't see, I acknowledge that. I'm sorry. I'm learning. I'm learning. Anyway, uh, we're going to continue in our series, Peaks and Valleys. Uh, This series has been such a joy to preach. It's been such a joy to sit under and listen to. Uh, The bulk of our time together has been looking at literal peaks and valleys in the Bible and discovering what the Lord would have us learn from those events in history and apply those lessons to our current season of life, be that the peak or the valley. You don't have to live very long in this world to know that life is a series of peaks and a series of valleys. And as we've uncovered for 10 weeks now is that God would use these seasons to sanctify us, grow us up into maturity. That is to say that every high and every low serve to help us grow in the Lord and in the joy that he has for us. Uh, Its ultimate purpose is to have your soul alive in the fullness of God and the joy that he brings. Our text this morning is another notable moment in the Bible. It most certainly is the most famous passage in the book of Ezekiel. You might have learned about it on Sunday school or something like that growing up. But this morning we leave Elijah and Mount Carmel that we uh, talked about last week and we join Ezekiel into the valley of dry bones. God takes our man, Ezekiel, uh, by way of a vision 
into a valley where there are literally the remains of human life, bones, dry and white, bleached by the sun. And and we're not talking about 10 or 15 bodies here. I mean, that would be enough to mortify anyone, but no, what we're talking about is enough skeletons for, uh, to account for a nation. It is a great many bones we find in this valley. It's not a beautiful place. It's a horrifying place. And to the Jew, a sorrowful place. And this valley was the representation of something deeper. God was communicating things of great depth to Israel through the prophet Ezekiel. The vision God gives him was something of a reminder. It was something in the physical that was telling the story of something spiritual. It was the recalling of something from the prophets of old. That vision was telling a love story in a scary place. A flower growing in the midst of concrete. A beauty in the midst of chaos and calamity. It was the reminder of the most important truth we can hold on to and here it is spoiler alert God in his love makes dead things alive in him that's it if you want any more from this sermon I'm gonna disappoint you God in his love makes dead things alive in him. It's a truth that for God's people never get old. It's a truth that warms us on cold nights, comforts us in troubling times, protects us in dangerous spaces. It's a word of revival. I wonder, church, how many of you have been to a place like that? Surely you've never been to a valley filled with skeletons. And if you have, I hope you called the police and received the proper trauma therapy. But what I'm talking about is a spiritual valley of death. I'm talking about a season of life where you felt alone, exiled, like God had abandoned you, like the joy that used to fill your mornings is now worry and anxiety. I'm wondering, church, if you feel dry spiritually this morning, like the day-to-day activities of your life has zapped the fire from you, the zeal from your heart, or maybe, maybe you might be in this place even too distracted to know because of life's responsibilities and your binging of Netflix and your new Threads account and all of these things that are taking away from the fact that you are actually spiritually dry. Family, there is good news for you in this text, in these verses. And so I want to title our time together in this passage after the important question God asks Ezekiel. He asks him, can these bones live? Can these bones live? I wonder how many of you this morning, the Lord is asking the same thing. Can these bones live? Can your soul live? And what we're going to see happen in this text family is a great hope for God's people. As he demonstrates to Ezekiel and to Israel and to us this morning, the reminding of his resurrecting power. 
And may it serve as a reminder to us that the power of God can change even the most hopeless of lives and situations. Three points for you in this text. Very easy. A true thing, a false thing, and a lovely thing. A true thing, a false thing, and a lovely thing. So if you are able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And then I would like to invite you to pray for me as I pray for you, as together we hear what thus saith the Lord. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and, I, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come up on them, and the skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it declares the Lord this is God's word would you pray with me mm. mighty mighty God incline our ears to your word to the sound of your voice Send down the wind of your spirit to fill us up this morning. Make us alive in your word this morning. 
Meet us here, God. Meet us here. Would you, O Lord, gift me as the preacher with clarity of speech and thought? Would you gift the congregation with attentiveness and grace for my errors? In Christ Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. January 2nd of this year, the Buffalo Bills were playing the Cincinnati Bengals, a highly anticipated week 17 game of football. Both teams looking to get, both very good teams looking to get top seed in their divisions on the last game or one of the last games of the season. And um, Cincinnati's T. Higgins, he caught a midfield pass and he was met in the middle of a field by a Bills defensive player to make the tackle. 25-year-old DeMar Hamlin made a normal football play. In fact, if, if, if everything went how it should have went, there was nothing remarkable about the play at all. It was a normal catch-up midfield leading to a tackle. However, after the tackle was made, DeMar Hamlin stood up, adjusted himself, and fell backwards motionless. DeMar Hamlin essentially died right there due to a very rare and very unlikely to happen impact to a very specific point in the chest while the heart is in a very specific motion in its rhythm that causes the heart to stop. The Bills medical staff was quick to rush onto the field and begin CPR on Hamlin and he was revived twice before being taken to the hospital where he would spend a couple weeks there and then make a full recovery and be returned and be allowed to play again. In his own words, he says, I died on national TV. I share this with you because the Christians saw something different that Monday night. What we saw was the reminder that God in his great love for us makes the dead walk. That he is in the business of revitalizing hearts to himself. And that is exactly the point God is communicating to Ezekiel in this vision. But if we're honest, church, oftentimes when we are in the valley, we have a hard time hearing the voice of God clearly. When we find ourselves in the valley, what tends to happen is we no longer have a listening ear to the voice of God, but our attention is given to our circumstances. Therefore, my approach with this text is to help you hear what is true, what is false, and what is lovely. Let me start with the truth. Throughout the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is prophesying the word of the Lord. At the beginning of the book, there is a great warning of Jerusalem's fall. Israel and Judah have turned their backs from God and God in his love have repeatedly warned them of the impending doom they are bringing upon themselves for their disobedience and their turning away from him. By the time of chapter 37, both Israel and Judah were ruined. 
They were a defeated nation. Assyria had scattered Israel and Judah had just been captured by Babylon. Ezekiel is not a prophet in Israel no longer. He is a prophet in Babylon. They are not home. They've been taken from their home to exile in another country. They are political prisoners, a product of war games, but more importantly, a product of their sinfulness. So the disposition of God's people, the disposition of Israel, we find in chapters, uh, in the late chapters, in the late uh, 30-ish chapters of Ezekiel in our chapter this morning, the disposition of the people of God are discouraged. Their former glory quenched, their pride slain, their hopes destroyed. They are as good as dead. Their life's circumstances in this moment preaches to them death. They will never get out of this mess. There is no one to deliver them. They lost their home. They lost their families. They lost everything. If we examine this paracope of passage closely, we see that the words of Israel's declaration in verse 11 are true words. Look at verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up, full stop. That's a true statement. The true word here is that the bones are dry. And they are not just dry. The text would have us recognize that they are very dry. In verse 2, some versions of some translations of the Bible would also say that they were dry because they have been bleached white by the sun. They've been there so long. They're brittle now, white with age. But the description of their state is true. I want to say a few things about this. Firstly, The valley experience sometimes is not a Job experience. I'll tell you what I mean. There are times we look at the valley season we are in as having nothing to do with our own contribution. We like to go, I've done nothing wrong, nothing that I can see. And so everything happening is a mystery to me. God, I don't know what you're doing, but this ain't it, brother. Israel thought the same way. Repeatedly, they would grow comfortable in their God-given prosperity and ever so slowly, they would begin to turn away from God over and over and over. They became lazy in their communion and pursuit of God's presence. And maybe they didn't firmly believe this like they declared it amongst themselves with their mouth, but surely their lives, as we see in the text, uh, the reality is they operated as though they were entitled to God's favor and presence because of their nationality and because of how prosperous they had become. Don't you see the vicious circle? God blesses, we become puffed up, God removes, and then we blame him. Family, sometimes the valley is your own doing. The bones in the valley represented Israel. Israel's soul is dead. Sometimes the valley is ours 
to own and not a result of God's testing of our faithfulness. Now you would have woke up late. Church started 35 minutes ago. I'm just teasing. Second thing I want to say about the bones being dry. It is not possible to have too low a view of your sinfulness. Stay with me here because there's a follow-up later I want to touch on in relation to this, but hear me. You cannot depreciate the destructive uh, power of sin in your spiritual state when you are lost in your sin. It is impossible to exaggerate and it is impossible to fully communicate the low state that is your, your spiritual frame under the bondage of sin. Now, before I begin to take to explaining that more, let me help you understand what I don't mean. I am not saying that in the physical, in the realm where you and I can see and touch, that the sinner's personhood has no value or inherent worth. Therefore, there is no license in here to talk of yourselves or to talk of others in a derogatory way. We need family to do a better job of separating the reality of our sinful nature from the reality of our dignity. There is no room for the Christian to see the most decorated sinner and think of that man in disgust. There's no room for the Christian to see the most heinous criminal and think to himself or talk about this person in a disregarding and disparaging way. Why? Because when you and I were sinners, dead in our trespasses and sin, we both were sinners and beholders of the Imago Dei, the image of God. So now when you gaze upon the sinner, may your mind and your heart be compelled to see them restored, not destroyed. Sin breaks our heart. It does not turn up our nose. It should be heartbreaking, mournful to us, seeing the image of God in humanity operate in and live with sin that separates that human from God eternally. And and don't get me wrong, this is not passivity towards their sin either. No, 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 no. We do not see the deadness of the sinner's soul as an opportunity to affirm them of their deadness. No, our hearts should break and compel us to move towards them with compassion and a burden to see God redeem and restore our spiritual state is of far more importance and it is far more potent a matter this is israel's reality exiled spiritually dead in the valley well you might say if you're a skeptic you might say well justin that's a historical fact their bondage their enslavement their exiledness i mean that's just that's a historical truth we we know israel was captured and exiled from their land I mean, that much is true. What's that got anything to do with me? I don't see how this vision tells my story. 
or family. Here's the truth. The truth is that Israel's exile is a picture of our exile. You might not be exiled from the land of your earthly identity, but spiritually you have been exiled. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, I'm going to tell you about the garden real quick. That's the place where in the middle lie the tree of life. It's a place of beauty and harmony, a place of love and identity, a place where your value was not determined by your work, but your work determined by your value. In that place, harmoniously with God, our parents, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God and God exiled them. And so by nature, you and I are exiled children. Immigrant children. What their sin did, what our sin does, is produce something unnatural to God's creative order. Something that was never meant to be a reality for the people of God. Our sin brought with it death and decay. You feel it at every funeral. This is not supposed to happen. No matter what the scientists might tell you, death is not natural to life. It is the effect of sin. We cannot undervalue sin. When you undervalue your sin, you in turn undervalue the great grace of God. You create doubt in your heart about God's ability to save, to take broken people and make them whole, to take tragic situations and turn them into triumphs of glory, to take the dead and make them alive. God takes Ezekiel And positions him in the middle of the valley, filled with a nation's worth of bones. And the bones tell Ezekiel something. The the bones describe themselves. I mean, you know what that's like, right? When you see a good plate of food, you let that food tell you it tastes delicious. Uh, You may see a nice car on the side of the road. You let that car tell you just how expensive it is. One thing me and my wife love doing is we love driving around or whenever we're driving around. We don't love driving around whenever we are driving around, you know, central Florida. And all we know how to build out here is apartments. And so like we'll be we'll be driving and we see something and we could just see by its location, by its construction, by the way it looks. You don't even see no paint on it. We can say, oh, that's expensive. Right. The bones tell Ezekiel. They're dead. Dried up. Divided. They know not the life they could have in God's love. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. But the bones say we're beyond dead. There's dead and then there's what's filling up this valley. They can, the concern then is immediate. No. What can be done about this? This sadness. This horrifying reality. What can be done? What is the hope for this valley? Right? Unless you've seen dead people unalive themselves or alive themselves. No. No dead man 
can raise himself back to life. These bones cannot lift a hand towards the work of their own reviving. There is no flesh, no muscle to even hold these bones together. And what's more is that the bones are scattered. There's a skull without a jaw sitting next to some ribs next to the tip of a finger. It don't make no sense. There's no neatly laid bodies here. It's a scattering of bones. They cannot save themselves. And the reality is neither can man. So then where is the hope? Where is it? If we, if we took the valley experience in a vacuum. And we just said, man, we're in the valley looking at this horrifying picture Despair feels like a place of comfort to run to. No? God asks Ezekiel the key question. God says, look around, son. Walk around. Notice the deadness of the bones. Take it all in. Mourn over all this loss of life, over this spiritual reality of your family. Now, can these bones live? Now I want to turn your attention to the lie. Pause from that exchange between God and Ezekiel and look back at verse 11. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. That's true. But then they say, our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Among the true words here that the bones are dry are untrue words about hope. I need you to hear me on this next one. The valley will often preach to us lies to crumble our confidence in the Lord's ability to save, to deliver, and to heal. And to have this happen causes something else to form in us. Despair. Despair is the mind's declaration, the heart's belief, that there is no hope. And yet hope is not denied to any man. As long as God is God. Confident hopefulness should always be on the mind of the Christian. But when the Christian dips his or her, or her toe into the pool of despair. We have engaged in a sinful and wretched business. We begin to behold something that is not only false. It's unreasonable. Spurgeon says, despair is a crime against truth. Despair is a high offense against the God of love. Despair is a form of suicide. It's a form of willful destruction. Family, what despair does is it lies on God's character insults God's power and dishonors God's mercy. Nobody has a right to despair. Let me help you out. Despair tells us that God does not do what it is in his nature to do. No? 
When God says, come to me, all ye who are weary, and I will give you rest, despair says, I cannot come to God. There is no rest for me. Oh, despair boasts in its wickedness. Look how great my sin is. Look how tall its mountain. There's no sea able to drown that in. Despair makes God a liar. And know this church, God is jealous for his truthfulness. God tells no lies and he never deceives his children. Despair tramples on the blood of Jesus. Jesus emptied his veins for our atonement. Despair would have you believe that's worthless blood spilt. Despair reduces Jesus to a pretender crucified for nothing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good. Good news for all people because it is about a good God saving bad people. To despair is to say that the bad is too much bad for all the good God thinks he is. Essentially, you say there is no gospel for me. There is no love that God can have that can reach me. There is no mercy that God can have that can consume me. He is not good enough. He is not kind enough. He is not strong enough to save you, to deliver you, to heal you, to change your circumstances. When we give in to despair, we have a hard time accepting God's truth. We wrestle and we writhe with God throughout our lives. When the Christian has given in to despair, the word but becomes their favorite response to good counsel and comfort. But what about this? But my situation is different. But I have no place to go. But I can't do it. But I don't want to. But it's not the same. But it's hard. But I have to. Despair makes the Christian quarrelsome. Despair makes the Christian not want community, not want the meal of the Lord's table, not want the wisdom of God's ministers or his word. But worse of all, despair makes the Christian ready to sin. Despair tells us to believe I'm already too far gone. I'm already disconnected. I'm already powerless. Despair sits you down and makes you believe that you are happy only when you are thoroughly unhappy. Restless becomes your mind. Despair takes you to the valley of bones and says there is no hope here. If I can plead with you, family. Despair makes the human Less than that. Do the birds of the air despair? No. Even in the midst of a hurricane, when the forces of nature destroy their homes and take their children, when the snake slithers and devours their young, when another bird robs them of their food and even their nest, the bird still hopes. To the bird... A soulless creature. It does not give in to despair. It goes and it builds another nest. And finds another mate. 
and creates for itself another place of shelter. Despair makes you less than the bird. Run away from it. Let it never darken your doorstep. Never allow it to deny the truth of God, the comfort from a friend, the blessing of the church or the empowerment of the spirit towards your heart. And if you feel in this place already the, word, the, 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 the looming darkness of despair over you, then allow yourself to hear this morning the words of the psalmist as he wrestles with his despair in Psalm 43. He says, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the opposition of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Family, meet despair with praise to God. Meet despair with singing and playing. Meet despair by coming into the loving, merciful, mighty presence of God. In God's presence, he can assess the broken heart. In God's presence, he can mend the aching soul. In God's presence, he comes joy everlasting. In God's presence comes the healing of a heart without hope. God in his love makes dead things come alive. I tell you this so passionately because I've been there. Despair is not the Christian wrestle. It is not the place for us to go. Run away from it. Verse 11. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. That's something true. And our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. That's a lie. And in the midst of the tempting lie to believe, God tells Israel by way of Ezekiel, he tells Ezekiel, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, here's the lovely part. I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, oh my people. Oh, church, you in despair this morning, hold on to these words like a child holding on to the hand of their father in a dangerous space. Look, let's look closer at this. Look at verse one. Ezekiel is taken to the valley. God brings him to where the bones are. Oh, man. In other words, there's no place unsafe for God. What destroyed you will not destroy him. No? God goes into graves to do the great work of grace. Can these bones live? Is a question asked at a graveyard, not at Disney. You don't go to a party and say, can these bones live? No, God goes to the grave. To ask if the impossible can be done. God goes to their ground and takes up that space they are in. Can these bones live? God asks Ezekiel. The obvious answer is no. 
right? Am I the only one who's never seen it happen? The obvious answer here is that nothing can be done for these things that are worse than death. Church, don't don't pretend you haven't been here before. Look at the chaos of life. And you say to yourself, there's nothing else to do. I'm at my end. There's nothing left for me to do. But notice that that is the space God takes Ezekiel to. He goes to that space where there's nothing left to do. And it's there that he goes to you where you are. Can these bones live? I wish, I wish, I wish you knew what I was saying. Ezekiel answers correctly here. He says, God, only you know. In other words, Ezekiel does not presume on God's power and intentions. He says, God, look, you can make them alive if you want to. God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. Preach to the bones. He says, tell the bones about me. Immediately, Ezekiel begins to understand revival does not begin in the mind. It doesn't begin in the heart. Revival begins with hearing. Oh, dry bones in this room, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Ezekiel is commanded to preach the word of God to the bones and the bones listen. They begin to come together and flesh begins to form and muscle begins to build and they are there. A person, people, but still not alive. God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the wind, to their breath. The Hebrew here is ruah. It means spirit of God. And the wind from all over begins to blow and the bones are now people alive, filled with the spirit of God. God keeps his promises. The Lord opened the hand of Israel, giving them a promise And closes their hand on it. He has given them something to hold on to. And that's what he's doing to you this morning. He is opening the grave. The Israelites, whom the bones symbolized, thought themselves dead. Have given into despair. They had been dead so long. They can't imagine life coming back into them. But God in his love makes dead things alive in him. Two kinds of dead in this room this morning. And the solution for both is one lovely thing. First, there are those of you who are dead in your sin. Ezekiel 37 is not just a metaphor. It's a real life picture of you. You are spiritually dead in the valley. You have not yet awoken to the God of life. You come to this place. Not a believer, not a Christian, living in the valley of death spiritually. Hear me, family. God wants to make you alive this morning. And his words have been prophesied. They've been declared unto you just now. Surrender to him. He who invades your space and fills it with life and love. The bones awoke first by hearing 
And you have heard. He will open the grave. Because 2,000 years ago, he opened another grave. And Jesus Christ was resurrected by the power of God. And now that resurrection power is longing to be in you. Mm. Be resurrected this morning. Second. There are those of you who are spiritually dead. Ezekiel 37 may not be a real life picture of you. But it is a metaphor. You are in God and yet giving way to despair. Come back. Come back, family. Listen to the word of the Lord from verse 12. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And You shall know that I am the Lord God when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Take a second right now. If you are a believer in this room, close your eyes. Take a second and remember that moment, that time where it clicked for you that you had been born again. Oh, what a feeling it is to know that there is a real God who really saved you? Huh? There is a God who really pulled you out from the valley of death and filled you with joy everlasting. How you heard the word of the Lord and your body began to form. How he blew his spirit in you and filled you with himself. What joy your soul experiences when you remember your own resurrection. Oh, what a testimony you tell those who are sitting with you in this place, who are as you were, dead in their trespasses and sins. What a testimony you preach over them when they see you were in the valley of despair. But when you remembered how God brought you out of the valley of death, how much joy filled your heart. The sermon you preach, when you remember your salvation, when you find again the joy that could never be lost is a lovely thing. That God in his love saves sinners. That God in his love makes dead things alive in him because he did what he said he would do. He did open that grave because the stone was sealing the tomb and it was rolled away. Jesus Christ died taking on my sin and yours and he nailed it to the cross. See, our sin deserves the valley of death. We deserve to be dead, entombed, restricted to the grave. But no, 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 no. Jesus took on the wrath of God for us. He took on the death and he put it to death. And he blew the spirit onto us and filled us with his resurrecting power. So that when we approach the valleys of life, we can remember that God meets us in the valley by sending his, by sending his son to the hill. His blood for my shame, his body for my joy, and he was buried, entombed, my death, his reality. He died buried behind the stone, but he opened up the grave. May all the dead in this place, spiritually or seasonally, find these words are true and lovely. God in his love makes dead things alive. And him stand with me in worship.